side of our three that's his new track ready for it we'll talk to kevin ross later today in the final half hour of this program but in this first hour today a conversation about a fascinating new study which reveals that donald trump's rise to power resulted from america's racial divide not cult leadership when i saw the study i was intrigued by it immediately and found myself discussing it over dinner one night with a friend of mine we both agree that that was actually never the claim the polling and other data have always shown that racial anxiety and antipathy fueled Trump's rise to power, and his demagogic leadership abilities transformed the GOP's normal political relationship with the Republican base into a cult of personality with exclusive loyalty to him. And we see that playing out even today as he runs for the White House once again. So that's how my friend and I see the story of Trump's rise and perhaps, as I just intimated, his resurrection. That said, I'm pleased to welcome the authority an anthropologist behind this new study, Dr. Susanna Crockford. Dr. Crockford, Dr. Crockford, good to have you on. How are you today? Good morning. I'm well. How are you? I am well, thank you. Good, uh, good to have you on our program. Glad we have the hour to to sort of unpack this uh, this subject matter. Let me let, let me start with this a broad question. What is it that you are bringing to us in this new study that you think we have heretofore not? Either, either not recognized or not accepted as part of the narrative for how Donald Trump rose uh, to the presidency in the first place? So my argument in the study is really about claims that are quite common, uh, especially amongst Democratic Party leaders, um, that Donald Trump uh, is a cult leader and that the Republicans are a cult. Um so what I'm arguing is that, in fact, to call him a cult leader and to call the Republicans a cult is, is sort of to let the Republican Party and, and, and beyond that, white evangelical Christians who, who kind of support him in large numbers, it sort of lets them off the hook. And it ignores this long history of racism behind the, the kind of support that Donald Trump gets, especially from white evangelical Christians. Mm-hmm. Um Give me your sense of who, in fact, calls him a cult leader and why um, they put him in that frame. So it's actually very common. For example, uh, Nancy Pelosi called uh, the Republicans a cult. She said that, you know, Donald Trump has hijacked the Republican Party and turned it into a cult. Adam Schiff called the Republican Party essentially a cult. Mm -hmm. And very interestingly, uh, House of Representative member, I think she's uh, retired now, but Jackie Speer called mm-hmm. the Republicans a cult. Now, her voice carries authority because she was at the Jonestown massacre in 1978 with her former boss, Congressman Leo Ryan. Now, he was murdered on the airstrip at Jonestown, which was run by um, Jim Jones, which mm-hmm. is one of the cases that many people associate with the term cult. So when she calls the Republican Party a cult, it kind of has this authority that she knows what she's talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, do you think that calling him a cult leader is in any way intentional? And if so, to what end and aim? I think it is intentional. Um, I think what they're trying to do is make a difference between uh, the current Republican Party under Donald Trump and what you know they might see as traditional Republicans or, or kind of traditional conservatives. So what it does is separate them rhetorically and linguistically by saying that it's now a cult under Donald Trump. That means that the Republican Party as a whole can still be worked with, that they are not, in fact, uh, 
the same as Donald Trump, that mm. something has happened to these Republicans, right? That they've been, so the association with being a cult is of being brainwashed, right? Of being part of a small religious group that has been brainwashed into following an authoritarian leader. Mm-hmm. And what this does is it separates the longer history and they might argue the wider body of Republicans from the more recent uh, Trumpist Republicans. Well, I take your point. I take your point. Uh, just getting started in this conversation with Dr. Susanna Crockford, uh, an anthropologist and author of this new study, which reveals that Donald Trump's rise in power, in fact, resulted from America's racial divide and not from cult leadership. We certainly know um, the racist ways in which Donald Trump has moved uh, and uh, and certainly governed over that four-year period. Uh, but this study uh, puts its finger on something a little bit different. You heard her say a moment ago that um, uh, what she's trying to do is to, to not let others off by saying it's simply a cult and ignore the racist uh, white supremacist past in the country that produced one Donald Trump. A lot to talk about it in this hour with Dr. Susanna Crockford. I got to start saying that slowly. Crockford, when we come forward on Tavis Smiley. And I'm delighted about it. Our guest in this first hour is Dr. Susanna Crockford, uh, anthropologist and author of a new study revealing that Donald Trump's rise in power resulted from America's racial divide uh, and not from uh, from cult leadership. Dr. Crockford, you were, you were talking a moment ago about um, the ways in which um, the Republican base, the Republican Party, in, in many ways is not that indistinguishable from Donald Trump, particularly when it comes to advancing these racial tropes. And to call him a cult leader um, suggests that um, that he's doing something that's that's uh, unique uh, or different. When in fact, it, it's, it seems to me that the whole rot, uh, the whole the, the the whole lot rather, is spoiled. But say a, a bit more about about that point you were making a moment ago. So the the point I was making was really about how. To call uh, Donald Trump a, a cult leader is, is really to kind of separate out or make aberrant what he is doing when actually it's, it's, it's better seen as part of the religious and political landscape, especially uh, amongst uh, white ev- evangelical Christians. Mm-hmm. Um, when you say uh, that's part of the, the religious landscape, um, to your mind, how, how has that infected um, the political workings of the of the GOP? That 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 would that would allow it to produce a candidate uh, and a victorious candidate like Donald Trump. So, in the article, I describe um, the long history of the involvement of um, various evangelical groups with the Republican Party, and then that's really part of the argument that that this isn't new. That there's a there's a much longer history going on here, and you can trace this back to the 19th century when mainline Protestant groups split over uh, the abolition of slavery, and the Southern uh, Baptist convention, but also all the other mainline Protestant groups split. And the a lot of the Southern groups specifically supported segregation. And that that history went into the 20th century and then uh, kind of fueled the actions of uh, people like Jerry Fowell and the moral majority to get involved in, Protest, uh, in politics, sorry, to support a version of America that they recognize, mm-hmm. this tr- what they think of as their values in this traditional sense of America, which is really quite explicitly a white supremacist version of America. And that that's what's hidden or occluded when you see Donald Trump as something new or very different, that this racial animus has been going on for a long time. 
Mm-hmm. Um, I take your point, and indeed you're right about that, and it, which raises the obvious question, at least to my mind, which is why, given the long trajectory, the long history uh, of this uh, racist thinking inside of the GOP, fueled by, uh, as you put it, this religious landscape that's littered uh, with all kinds of um, uh, racist leanings and ideologies, why it took as long as it did, in fact, to create uh, a person like Donald Trump. We won't call him a cult leader. That's the point of your survey, the point of your study, rather. But why do you think, given that backstory that you just laid, that you just laid out quite brilliantly, that it took as long as it did to get someone like a Donald Trump uh, to come to the fore? Well, I think you can see forerunners of Donald Trump in people like Barry Goldwater in the 1960s, who was also quite extreme and also quite explicitly racist at times. So these leaders have emerged. And I think what's really different about Donald Trump is partly it's to do with the fact that he no longer upholds the values that were once thought as necessary to be a leader of the Republican Party. A lot is spoken of about Donald Trump's, uh, in, for example, his personal life, mm-hmm. the fact that he's not very good at quoting the Bible. Um, so he doesn't look or sound like your kind of traditional Republican candidate who is, you know, has to uphold these moral values. Donald Trump doesn't do that. So that's why he was seen as this aberration. And there was a lot of speculation from, you know, 2015 onwards that, you know, evangelical Christians wouldn't support Donald Trump because he wasn't one of them. But actually, I think what his support, which has remained incredibly high and incredibly uh, steady amongst evangelical Christians, shows is that they are more concerned with having someone who supports their racial and political values Mm. than what they claim to be their their moral values about things like the family. Mm -hmm. And yet, um, to your point, he, he does not possess, Trump does not possess those moral values that we uh, typically associate with those who want to be standard bearers for the GOP. I take your point that they care more about him advancing their sort of racist ideology than they care about uh, their moral ideology. But that's so that that's so different. We, we've never experienced that before. Um, why do you think that the GOP uh, writ large was willing to make that trade off, willing to make that sacrifice? Well, I think it speaks quite clearly to the fact that the moral values were never as important as political power. I Mm. think they're willing to make that trade-off because what they get is power. Mm. They stay in power, and Donald Trump has proved remarkably popular, um, at least amongst his base. One of the things he does that is quite different to how uh, presidents are expected to behave is he doesn't try and broaden his coalition. He's not trying to bring more people into the fold. He only talks to his base. Um, Mm. And that's at least one of the things I argue is that that's more similar to a religious leader, that someone who's speaking to the believers, to the already kind of convinced. He's not trying to turn anyone. He's not trying to convince independents. So this is often seen as a political weakness of Donald Trump. Yet so far, that hasn't weakened him amongst Republicans because they see him as supporting their values and their vision of America. And for them, that's a route to power. What does that mean for the Republican Party writ large uh, long term? What does it mean for that party long term um, if Donald Trump uh, continues to speak only to the base? Now, the base is significant enough to get him the nomination this next time around. As you well know, I haven't talked to a single guest on this program, in fact, who doesn't believe that he is already the presumptive Republican nominee for the 2024 presidential race. But speaking just to the base, 
in some ways, again, will get you the nomination, but I'm not so sure it means that Donald Trump can defeat Joe Biden, and yet I'm, I'm reading data every day that there are folk who don't think I'm right about this. You know, one of the arguments that people have made for why Barack Obama showed up at the White House a week or so ago uh, was because he sees the tea leaves, that Obama realizes that Donald Trump can win again and that Joe Biden needs some help. And so uh, Obama, you know, shows up at the White House, you know, a week or so ago because he understands that. He sees what others uh, are in denial about, that Donald Trump could, in fact, defeat Joe Biden in another head-to-head. But it seems to me that you can't do that if only you're, if you're only talking to the base of the Republican Party. So I'm not sure strategically how far that gets him. That's my read. What's your take? Well, I think he's definitely the nominee. There's no disagreement from me there. And I think that's pretty much, the, as you said, the, the presumptive view. I think that he has the votes from his base and he can bring them out in very reliably. And there's some old political wisdom here, which is that incumbents lose more often than opponents win. So if Joe Biden doesn't mobilize enough support on his side, because Donald Trump's support is so rock solid and he will mobilize that it's between 30 and 40 percent, he will mobilize that. It could happen. Um, if enough people stay home, if enough people vote for third party candidates and enough people just think, well, I'm just a bit sick of Joe Biden, Trump could win. Yep. We discussed on this program some days ago uh, a, a survey, a study that, that found that um, that there is concern uh, about Biden turning out his base uh, in this next race. Of mm. course, uh, we're, we're, we're months away from that. Things could change. And once Donald Trump. Uh, to the extent he does become the nominee, I think that that changes everything for the president. He has a he has a real target, uh, and uh, I'm not sure that data will hold. I certainly hope it doesn't, but we we shall see uh, in the coming months. Back to this point you made earlier about the fact that to call Donald Trump a cult leader and to call the GOP a cult suggests, like in the Jim Jones example you offered, that these folks have been brainwashed. So if they have not been brainwashed, what have they been? And maybe the answer is they are being what they've always been, uh, which is which is racist to the core. I don't know. But if they've not been brainwashed in a cultist fashion, what have they been? Because one can one cannot but argue that they are Donald Trump sycophants. So if they're not brainwashed, how do you describe their behavior and their 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 loyalty to him? Yes, I think one of the reasons why the cult description is so persuasive is because so many people look at Donald Trump's supporters and they're fervent and they're fanatical and they support him no matter what. I mean, he's under, what, his third indictment now mm-hmm. and they still support him. You know, an indictment on the level that he's had would, in conventional wisdom, be absolute poison for any other political candidate. So why do they still support him? It's not because they're brainwashed, it's because they're making a choice. Right. Mm -hmm. This is the way they see America and this is the way they want America to be. This vision of a white Christian English speaking America where everyone else is at least pushed to the sidelines or, you know, in some versions actually expunged. Um, They support a system of white supremacy because they benefit from this. I've been doing fieldwork in Arizona, in very rural Arizona, for a long time now, over 10 years. And there were people who were expressing these sorts of racist sentiments far before Donald Trump. They were always there. And when he came to power, I thought, oh, all those old guys who said all those awful things, that's who's supporting Donald Trump. And, you know, these people were always there. Um, And now what they have is a voice and they have a route to power. 
they're no longer being told that they're declining or they're dying out. This is their guy, so they're not going to stop supporting him. Um, For a lot of them, they see this as their last chance to, as they call it, quote-unquote, save America. For them, it's an existential battle. Some of them even see it as a battle of good versus evil. Mm. So, of course, they're not going to stop supporting him. They believe that they're right. They think what they're doing is righteous and just. Yeah, but they're not. And that's bra- what makes it so dangerous. Yeah, but they're not brainwashed. I take your point. Um, you said they. No. You said they've always been there. Okay, indeed they have always been there. And yet, the conventional narrative in this country has been that that way of thinking in America, in a nation that is more multicultural, multiracial, uh, multi-ethnic than ever before, in a nation that is hurtling toward a day in the not too distant future where this country, for the first time ever, will be a country of minor- of a, uh, a majority minority country. Uh, we're just years away from that. The, the thinking, the conventional thinking has been that the way of thinking that you just described, that mindset is dying out. And yet, if you look at the if you look at the numbers, it suggests that it may be dying out, but it ain't dying out fast enough, Dr. Crockford. No, I don't think it is dying out as quickly as predicted. And I think there's a couple of reasons for that. Mm -hmm. One is that I think that there's a a persistence of uh, white supremacy, or at least an implicit white supremacy amongst people who would not explicitly think themselves as racist. So, for example, people who have voted even for Barack Obama then went and voted for Trump, and they won't necessarily think of themselves as racist, but they still, at a kind of core level, support these what I call implicit white supremacist aims. Mm. Um, Another factor that I don't think you should discount is the extent to which the voting in America has been gerrymandered and distorted. So Mm. that even in country, sorry, in states where you have, uh, you know, black majorities, where you have Latino majorities, often they can't vote in a way that will carry their state because of the way the districts have been drawn. And obviously there's been a lot of cases in the Supreme Court, even about this recently, mm-hmm. um, to try and change those maps. Some have, some haven't. But those those lines persist, and I think that's part of the story as well. To what extent do you think gerrymandering has aided and abetted Trump's efforts particularly when you look at the House of Representatives right now and see, once again, the sycophants in the House who, uh, who who support Donald Trump no matter what. Um, they are only there in part because of gerrymandering. That's how I read it. Again, what's your take on it? Yes, absolutely. And I think there's a number of states where you can you can see this quite clearly in the data, where, for example, in Wisconsin, where you will always get these kind of very solid red majorities in the state house and in the House of Representatives because of the way the lines have been drawn around the district. The same thing happened in a number of other states. In Arizona, they had to have a redistricting uh, commission to try and sort out these gerrymandered districts, but somehow it still produced this result where you have one or two uh, Democrat districts, but the overwhelming majority are conservative. You know, now this is happening on purpose and... You know, it's not an accident. So absolutely, this is part of how Trump's been uh, able to stay in power or even gain power in the first place. Remember, he didn't win the popular vote. That's right. Uh, We're talking with Dr. Susanna Crockford about her new study, which finds that Donald Trump's rise in power and perhaps his rise once again uh, results from America's racial divide, not from this notion of a uh, cult uh, that he is the leader of, but uh, frankly, uh, from uh, the, the racial animosity, from the white supremacist thinking. 
uh, that is ingrained in this country. When we come forward, Dr. Crockford, I want to ask her um, how she reads the following, that Trump voters perceive more racism against whites than black folk. That's how they see it. Uh, don't laugh. That's how they see it. We'll talk about it when we come forward. Our guest in this hour is Dr. Susanna Crawford, and we're uh, glad to have you uh, tuned in. Uh, we're talking to her about her new study, which reveals that Donald Trump's rise in power, as I keep saying, his uh, perhaps uh, uh, resurrection, uh, has resulted from America's racial divide, not from cult leadership. Uh, people like to dismiss Donald Trump as a cult leader and the GOP as a cult. And there are a lot of folk who have been guilty of saying that uh, it's not really true. Uh, his rise is absolutely uh, connected to uh, America's uh, racial divide. Uh, and um, her study sorts of uh, underscores that and reveals that in a variety of interesting ways. And so we're talking to uh, Dr. Crockford, who is uh, an anthropologist, uh, about the study. In case you've just tuned in, wanted to give you a uh, bring you up to speed and where we are in this hour. That said, uh, as I mentioned a moment ago, Dr. Crockford, I wanted to get your take on this uh, this uh, this data that suggests that Trump voters perceive more racism against white folk than they do black folk. Uh, I, as I said to the audience, uh, don't laugh. <laughs> that really is how they see uh, the American which we live, that they are the victims, the subjects of more racism than are African Americans. Uh, one, your, your, your thoughts on that, uh, on, that, uh, on that data, and secondly, how that impacts uh, the research and work that you've done that we're discussing in this hour. Right, so the data comes probably from surveys that ask people about their perceptions of racism. Um, and, you know, people's perceptions are based on their opinions and their biases, and, and a lot of people don't examine where their biases may come from. Um, so for a, lot of, um, for a lot of white people in America, I think that for so long, their race wasn't named. It was the norm. And then suddenly people start saying, as I just did, you know, they start talking about white people and they start talking about white privilege. Um, and suddenly they feel named and, 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 and identified in that way. And that feels very uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. And it's that sense of discomfort then gets kind of twisted around and, and projected outwards. And I, and I do think it's a form of projection, right? Um, that instead of acknowledging uh, the racism that still exists in America, uh, what they do is they say, actually, we're the ones that are being discriminated against because that, that loss of being the norm feels like that they're being attacked. Um, and so then that is then projected outwards as, as, as a perception of, of being affected by racism. Mm -hmm. um, and there's a lot of ways you can track that happening. Things like, you know, the opposition to affirmative action, for example, is seen as advantages being given to other people, but not to white people. Um, even though it kind of ignores the basis, which is that, you know, white people already had massive advantages in getting into colleges. Mm. Um, you mentioned the phrase white privilege. I wanted to get to that, so I'm glad you, you went there. What's white privilege got to do with all of this? So white privilege is this idea that just, or at least the, the more that you adhere to various standards of whiteness in America, the more advantages you gain from that. And there's a number of different kind of ways that you can track whiteness. It's to do with obviously color of skin, but it's, there's a number of other ways that can be tracked as well. I think, for example, body type, it's to do with the way of 
speaking. Mm -hmm. um, and all of these kind of come as a cultural package. And the more white you can appear and you can perform as, then the more advantages that you can get in. And these advantages have been traced through a number of different sectors in education, in housing, in, in finance, in the amount whether you're going to get a loan, right? So there's all these different ways that just being white or being perceived as white, presenting yourself in a certain way can provide you with material economic advantages. And that's what we talk about when we're talking about white privilege. It's, it's really about an increase in material advantages in the amount that you adhere to these categories, these categorizations of whiteness. Mm -hmm. uh, is, is there a link, though, between that, that white privilege and the results in your survey? Yeah, so what I was looking at is, um, well, I didn't do a survey. What I do is ethnographic fieldwork, which is uh, slightly different. Mm -hmm. um, but, yes, so um, I was studying uh, Republicans in Arizona, and, you know, most of them are white. And the way that they see themselves is very much as the norm and, and, and not as being white. And so when they see people identifying them as white and taking away the things that they had just assumed that were theirs automatically, then they see that as an attack on them specifically. And I mentioned earlier that, you know, some will see this as, as literally being attacked, as losing America. And these are all kind of ways of, of speaking about this feeling of having lost something. And what they're losing is their white privilege, even if they may not actually be losing it. It's that sense of being, ha losing it, right? It's those perceptions. Mm -hmm. um, as you said already a few times in this conversation, uh, the reason for your study uh, is to underscore the point that uh, uh, Trump's rise to power is not due to his being a cult leader uh, or overseeing some cult that is uh, known as the GOP. Um, so I want to I ask a strange question here, which is whether or not, whether you call it a cult or not, any of their fears, I'm putting fears in air quotes here, are any of their fears in this moment legitimate? Mm, that's an interesting question. Um, so what their fear is, is that the America that they know, that they think that they know, is changing and they are losing it. And you mentioned things like the demographic change. Mm -hmm. So... You could say to a certain extent, yes, that is happening. For example, the birth rates, I know, I know the data best in Arizona, for example, the birth rates amongst whites are declining, whereas the birth rates amongst the Latino populations are increasing. A lot of that is down to migration, but it's also down to family size. Mm -hmm. um, so that is something that demographically you can track, and, and it is happening. Now, whether that means all the things that they fear are happening are going to happen, um, well, I would say that that's unlikely. Um, but, you know, there are changes in America, and that is what they are afraid of. Yeah. They're afraid of change and of losing their power, and perhaps they are to a certain extent. Yep. I only ask that question because I've never known uh, a cult or, uh, you know, studied any uh, cult, read about a cult, uh, where those who were a part of it weren't afraid of something. Now, somebody made them feel a particular way, but the reason why they're a part of this body is they're, they're, they're scared of something. They're, they're, they're running from something, and they're running to something. So maybe, maybe I should reframe the question and put it that way. Are these people, these, 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 these followers, are they running from something? And if so, what are they running to? I think what they're running from is a sense of 
that America is changing and that's what they're terrified of. Right. Because change for them means a loss of their position, a loss of their privilege. So if things are changing, it's not changing in the way they want. They, they want the status quo to remain as it is. Mm-hmm. Um, when we come forward, um, uh, a few more things I want to get um, the response to. Uh, from Dr. Susanna Crockford, her study again reveals that Donald Trump's rise in power resulted uh, directly from America's racial divide and not from this notion of um, of his being a cult leader. Uh, great deal more to talk about when we come forward on Tavis Smile. Dr. Crockford, I know that uh, you do all kinds of work, and one of the things that uh, I'm told that you're working on is examining the ethics and politics of conspiracy theories. I want to link these two uh, these two parts of your work, if I can. We're talking in this hour about your study, uh, again, revealing that Donald Trump's rise to power is connected to the racist ways in this country and not some sort of... Uh, some sort of uh, fanatical cult that he is is the leader of. I um, want to connect that, if I can, to the politics of conspiracy theories, because one of the things that seems to drive uh, and animate these persons who are supporting one Donald Trump uh, is their belief in a variety of conspiracy theories. You see it all the time on Fox News, whether it's great replacement. I could run the list on that time and do all that. But is there a link between those two things? Yeah, so the conspiracy theories uh, are obviously very popular amongst uh, Trump voters. Um, as you just mentioned, there's a number we could talk about. There's great replacement theory. One of the ones that's very popular is something called QAnon. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think a lot of the reason why people will associate these two words, cult and conspiracy theory, is that, you know, a conspiracy theory is, is a, a, an idea or a theory about kind of the powers that be and what they're doing that doesn't make a lot of sense to a lot of other people, that they see it as irrational. And then cults are seen as religious groups that have beliefs that don't make a lot of sense, that they're irrational. So these two ideas really work together, right? So instead of being a religious group that has beliefs, when you come across a group that seems very different to what you're used to and what you would expect to to perceive, you can call them a cult which believes in conspiracy theories. And conspiracy theories are very popular amongst Trump voters because a lot of what they expect to see about reality has been changing. And often when your expectations of reality are transgressed, that makes you distrustful. And distrust leads down this path towards believing in these vast conspiracies. Hmm. What does all this say? Uh, broad question here. What does all this say um, or portend about the future of the Republican Party? Well, nothing good. Um, (laughs) If you have a party that's led by by a leader that has several indictments that, you know, people just believe unquestioningly, even though he has these indictments and he spreads these very racist things, then this is sending the Republican Party down a path where they are going to continue to only appeal to this very narrow demographic Um, where they're not going to support a broad coalition and they're going to keep trying to uh, kind of push through these policies which alienate and exclude people. And and this happens across a number of different, uh, you know, I can give one example, for example, the the fight against Roe v. Wade, right? They're just going to keep pushing what you might call these cultural issues because those appeal to this very narrow group that they know is going to support them. So what they're doing is, is basically undermining their future viability. And the only way that that works as a successful electoral strategy is if they also continue to remove the ability for those people that oppose them to be able to vote. 
Mm. When we come forward, there are two other things I want to uh, uh, get your your read on. One is the culture wars that you just referenced. My view is, and I've said more than once on this program, that um, we haven't seen anything like the culture wars that we're going to see uh, in the next uh, few months, in the next couple of years, uh, as we move uh, to, uh, through, and into uh, this next presidential um, uh, season. Uh, and administration, the culture wars are about to get much worse than I think we even imagined. I want to get your take on that. And then this notion of, again, Trump not aligning at all with the moral values that many of his supporters espouse. It's one thing to be, you know, singing off key on one or two notes, but perennially, I mean, every day we learn more and more about Donald Trump's misbehavior, which is not just slightly off from their so-called moral values, but he's off the chart. And yet that does not uh, in any way uh, cause them to pull their support back from Donald Trump. That that disconnect is fascinating for me. Our remaining moments with Dr. Susanna Crockford when we come forward on Tavis Smiley. She's got a few minutes left in dialogue with Dr. Susanna Crockford, our guest in this hour, uh, anthropologist who has uh, brought us some new data uh, about uh, the backstory of Donald Trump's rise to power and uh, his potential re-rise, if I can put it that way. Um, Dr. Crockford, um, your, your thoughts on these cultural wars, you referenced it a moment ago, and I want to just come back to it right quick here, uh, because as you heard me say a moment ago, my view is that we ain't seen nothing yet when it comes to these cultural wars. Um, your, 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 your thoughts? I think you're absolutely right. I think the Republicans have painted themselves into a corner where all they seem to be able to do is create new culture war issues to try and basically out-Trump Trump. But you really can't do that. So you end up looking sort of like, you know, his main competitor is um, Ron DeSantis. And, mm-hmm. and he, he looks a little pathetic almost compared to Donald Trump, who, who is so good at embodying these culture war issues. Um, that they're just going to keep ratcheting up because they don't seem, at least at the moment, to have any other strategy than to just keep hammering on these same very divisive issues. Yep. He may be a, a, a mini-me standing next to Donald Trump, but he's trying his best on these culture wars, Ron DeSantis, that is, uh, with his fight against Disney and a few other things I can mention. So he's trying, at least, to be a, a cultural war warrior, even if he doesn't measure up uh, to one Donald Trump. Uh, the other question I want to get to uh, finally here uh, is, it really takes us back you know, to the beginning, where this conversation now come full circle. When you made the point that uh, Donald Trump does not possess the moral values that many of his uh, followers uh, possess uh, in their own belief system, and yet that does not stop them from supporting him. My point is it's one thing for you and Donald Trump to be you know, out of alignment on one or two issues, but with every single day, with every new indictment, we learn more and more about the fact that he has absolutely no moral compass whatsoever and that still, still seems not to uh, de- deter these persons from supporting him uh, to the hill. Uh, how do I read that? So I think what you have to take into account is that they just don't believe a lot of the things that are being said about Donald Trump. This is where the conspiracy theories come in. Anything that's said, by even by the Department of Justice, especially by the Democratic Party, but any of their perceived enemies against Donald Trump is just not believed. They see it as lies. And because they've already decided a priori to not believe these sources of information, then none of these new revelations have any effect because they just don't trust them. 
But the other assumption that you can kind of make is that, well, their moral values clearly weren't what they were stating them to be. Mm. So while they were stating that it was very important for them to, you know, have family values to uphold the sanctity of, you know, the family and to support the nation, obviously those values weren't as important as they claimed, that there was a difference between their ideology and, in reality, what they support, which is Donald Trump. So that sounds to me like a willful blindness. Yes. <laughs> we all have our blind spots. Yeah, Some of them are more uh, <laughs> more uh, consequential than others. No doubt about it. Uh, I, <laughs> I take that, uh, and I agree with it, and I'll leave it there. Dr. Susanna Crockford has been our guest in this hour. She's an anthropologist, and we've been discussing in this hour, in case you tuned in late, uh, her new uh, study, which reveals that Donald Trump's rise in power resulted the first time around, and if it happens again, the second time around, from America's racial divide, not from this notion of some sort of cult of which he is uh, the the leader. Dr. Crockford, thanks for your research. Thanks for the conversation. Good to have you on this program. Thank you so much for having me. My pleasure. More of Tavis Smiley when we come forward.